Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. I'm Tim Malloy, and I'm excited to bring you this talk with Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, creators of the new film Antebellum. I can't really tell you anything about Antebellum without completely ruining it for you, but suffice it to say the trailer alternates between images of Janelle Monet looking and sounding radiantly confident in the present day and fighting to escape enslavement on a deep south plantation. Bush and Renz talk in this episode about how they see their work not just as entertainment, but as explicitly fighting for justice. Here are Gerard Bush and Christopher Renz, writers and directors of Antebellum, now available on demand. The first voice you'll hear after my first question belongs to Renz. Can you talk about, just going back to the very beginning, how you two met and started working together? Yeah, um, we met over 12 years ago um, in Miami. We were both in advertising at the time. And we kind of ended up leaving our respective companies and working together. We created our own ad agency that we had for 10 years. Um, we worked in luxury marketing, but then you know, around the time where Trayvon Martin was murdered, we kind of decided to pivot and we went much more in the, the social justice direction. We did a lot of PSAs. Um, we worked with um, Harry Belfonte's uh, social justice organization, Sankofa. We worked with Amnesty International, con con conservation.org. Uh, um, we worked with Priorities USA and did some political work. Um, and then, you know, after we did the, um, the music visual for Jay-Z, we moved out to LA and, uh, mm -hmm. which was just about three years ago. Yeah. And how did you decide to do Antebellum? Did you always want to do a feature film? I mean, from the, from the minute that we got together, I mean, our idea was to take art as activism um, in, in a direction that we thought would prove the most effective. Also, we're film fanatics. So at the beginning of, of those conversations, although at the time it felt really far-fetched to us because we were in Miami and, and you know, it felt like um, uh, an unattainable dream. So when we first started, the goal was eventually to get to movies, but we knew that that was not gonna happen overnight and that we weren't about to pack up our stuff and move to Hollywood. So we spent the next 10 years honing our skills and also honing and sharpening our united voice because it wasn't one person it's two people uh right. and and it was really interesting the exploration of of that line of inquiry and figuring out who we were together and what that identity looked and felt like because the alchemy of what we create together obviously is totally different than what we were creating on our own so I'm glad that we had that time before we got here. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of the division of labor when there's two of you who are doing a lot of the same thing? I mean, you're both writing, you're both directing. How does it break down? So with the, with the writing, um, it's kind of more of a, you know, uh, a, we kind of write on our own and then send pages over to the other. They kind of edit, critique what we do and then write their pages and we kind of, we're never at the same table writing until the script it has, is fully formed and then we're kind of just putting final touches on it. But that kind of, the writing process really informs our directing process because 
were able to work through all of the issues with the story and the script and and have all of our you know sometimes knock down drag out fights about characters and and by the time we get to set we both have a singular vision and we're crystal clear on what we want we're both um interestingly enough maybe it'll be interesting to people we're both um we lean towards spending a lot of time alone mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the writing process for for me anyway is a form of catharsis because it's a time that i'm by myself and with these characters and living in a world and an environment that is um born of our uh collective imaginations yeah. and um you know that's that's just something that that feels uh really important as a driving factor later for every other element of creating the film yeah now this is a film that's obviously touching on slavery i don't want to give too much away about the film because there's there's a lot to give away let's put it that way mm-hmm. and i assume you don't want to go into any right let's keep it all let's let's make people see the movie mm-hmm. um but as a black and white team, are there certain things that you sort of divide up based on who should handle what? I mean, as a white writer, I'm always really conscious of dialogue of non-white characters. Mm-hmm. Um, am I, you know, imposing anything stereotypical? Am I getting anything wrong in terms of voice, in terms of characterization? Is that something that you sort of check each other on? I think that um, 12 years together, Yeah. And, and um, both of us being incredibly passionate about achieving um, a racial nirvana. Um, yeah. And if that is at all possible. Um, yeah. and, and because of that, uh, and, and Christopher and I both being enveloped by black women, um, mm-hmm. my mother, my sister, all of our dear friends, you know, we're super clear on on who we are. And at times we we forget because we've been partners for 12 years. So yeah. we you have to understand, we don't look at each other like, oh, you know, uh, Christopher's white and I'm black. It's and, and it's only since we've gotten into antebellum that that's that that's um, really come into focus. But hmm. For, for me, it was, it was always easier to, you know, to just write what I know. So writing, right. writing black people is what I know. So right. that was a really easy thing for, for me to do. And then Christopher, um, we, would, we would ground ourselves in a lot of research. I think that, that our, the, our best audience for Antebellum is an educated audience because mm-hmm. there's so much in the way of, of current events that, are are seeded into the movie and it's also based on and grounded in historical fact but you just have to have some knowledge and understanding of that because otherwise um it could just go completely over your head so i would say more importantly to us was making sure that we were grounded in historical and current fact yeah i think there's sort of a tricky decision that filmmakers have to make when they make a film that touches on slavery, because there've been so many films that have already addressed slavery that have really not perpetuated stereotypes as much as like just continued an image that's a harmful image. Like I remember reading a couple of weeks ago that Chadwick Boseman's agent said that he turned down a role where he would have played a slave. 
he would have been the protagonist, of course, and it would have been a positive portrayal, but he just didn't want the image out there anymore. Um, but on the other hand, as the last few months have shown us, Americans really don't seem to understand how awful slavery was. Not all Americans, but many Americans just continue to try to minimize it to make it sound like it wasn't so bad, like it was so long ago. Like, why can't we just forget about this? Um, so I think, I imagine there's kind of a difficult conversation for you to decide, do we want to continue to have this image out there versus do we want to educate people and make them aware, uh, make them as audience aware of how, how much this still resonates now? That, you know, as you say in your film, the past isn't past. The past well, isn't gone, Faulkner, it isn't even past. That's what Faulkner said. Right. Yeah. Right. You, you attribute Faulkner, obviously. Yeah. Um, here's, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to um, participate as a co-conspirator in the erasure of uh, our own history. And I, for one, can completely understand where Chadwick Boseman was coming from. I hate to admit that um, I was incredibly uncomfortable with the idea of seeing black people in bondage, mm -hmm. uh, sitting through a slavery movie, even if it was Django Unchained, was so uncomfortable that it would take me, I'd have to, if I'm watching it at home, I have to watch it in doses. Mm -hmm. If that gives you a, a clear understanding of my discomfort initially with the idea of watching slavery. Yeah. However, in what we, are trying to achieve in this movie is a recontextualization so that that the moviegoing audience which also translates into the american voter that also translates into the american citizen can better understand our history and how delicate um, the the maintaining of a free democracy really is and we didn't make this movie, and I don't think that we've done anything, quite frankly, for entertainment's sake. Yes, mm -hmm. it's crucial that we entertain thrillingly, but within that thrill, we hide the medicine of what we're trying to say. And, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a conversation uh, that we spent so much time considering when we realized that because of the erasure of black people's experience in America. Um, I liken it to our beautiful, wonderful Jewish community and how uh, they, are in, they are really careful to mine their narrative and yeah. that, that they understand that if you don't continue to amplify the past and what happened, that before you know it, it is back at your front door again. And, yeah. and I, I think that that's really important. I think that black folk, by and large, you know, we didn't realize it, but we were actually, because we were so uncomfortable with it, we were participating in the erasure of that history. And that by erasing that history, what ends up happening is, well, then why aren't you further as, as a community within this American society. Look at this community and look at this community. What happened with you? Why aren't you where the rest of these communities that have, that have found prosperity and, and, and achievement so much easier? And it is just, all you have to do is go back to the fact that the country was built on the backs of free labor and stolen bodies 
and that reparations were never in place. As soon as black folk would try to build our own communities, uh, they would be torn down, redlined. I mean, you know, the history is chock full of examples of how black people have been systematically disenfranchised by a, a government that was designed for our failure and their success. And so it's really important that we continue to tell those stories. I hope that, you know, this story in Antebellum will not be the last, but I hope that um, Antebellum will plant a seed in understanding that we have to remain really vigilant about our democracy. Yeah. It's funny, you made me think of going to Auschwitz where there's there are just reminders everywhere of how easily this could happen again. And it, you leave there so determined to just never have anything like this happen anywhere in the world. And the US doesn't really have an equivalent, I don't think. I think the closest equivalent might be the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis. Mm -hmm. um, which I wish everyone could visit because one of the things that it drives home is slavery was the Apple computers crossed with Google, crossed with IBM, every big company you can name for centuries. And we act like it's this small pocket of American history and the sort of, you know, outlier or something. It was the driving force in the whole economy of this country. And I just don't think people grasp that. So I think it's helpful whenever you can remind people of that or inform people of that, I think it's a good thing. And I think the movie might make people think about that a little more. I mean, I would say, I mean, no one is throwing um, a wedding at Auschwitz, but they seem like it's right. completely fine to throw a wedding at a plantation right next to cabins of enslaved people. And, and so that's what the problem is. People don't yeah. know in the US. And, and it's important that, you know, as Gerard said, we're not complicit in this erasure of history and, and going with, you know, the school books that many of them now refer to enslaved people as workers who came from Africa. And we don't know yet here, and we haven't learned. So we need to, you know, I focus on this. I, I, I think, you know, that we, we've also noticed that, um, you know, art is, is being attacked from both sides because you have the ultra, um, uh, I call it the racist wing <laughs> of the conservative party. Um, I think conservative is just code, ultra conservative is code for intolerant and racist and homophobic and all of those other things under the crown of Christianity. Then, you know, on, on the left, um, you know, we have the ultra left that there are some uh, uh, factions who are really uncomfortable with a certain brand of art also. And as artists, ultimately what we're looking to do is to disrupt. The art should divide you. The art should uh, catalyze a conversation. That's exactly the point. We're not here to create a theme park ride, something milk toast that everybody can say universally that they just, you know, I enjoyed that. You know, that's yeah. not the point. The point is to get you to think and to wake up to the world that we're living in. And before it's too late, because we, we think that these times, we didn't make this movie um, uh, with the idea that we were Nostradamus and we're going to find ourselves intersecting with, with the perfect timing um, for the movie. We made the movie two years ago and suddenly, you know, we find ourselves in this moment that it, you would almost think that we went back and reshot it. When yeah. it's, it's exactly what it was when we made it and it has met its moment. And so yeah. what that says to me 
is we just keep careening dangerously toward the edge of something that feels irreversible. And I think that we should all stop playing violins on the deck of the Titanic and wake up. Because I don't want to ruin this movie for anyone, how would you explain the movie without giving too much away? I would say that it is, um, it is a movie about a brilliant black woman, a young black woman, an educated black woman, a pillar of her community, a, a beautiful wife and mother, loving mother, uh, who is plucked, stolen from her life and deposited in the open air haunted house that is the antebellum South, that she has to figure it out before it's too late. Yeah. There's a book that I'm sure you're familiar with called Kindred by Octavia Butler um, that has a somewhat similar idea, but you, and again, I don't want to ruin anything for anyone. Let me just put it this way. You are not copying the plot of Kindred. Um, no. <laughs> um, it makes- I understand that from the trailers that are, that are out there, we understand what that's coming from. But once people see the movie, they'll know that it's, it's not Kindred. Yeah. Can you talk about the influence, if it had an influence that Kindred had? Or was it just something that... It didn't. Kindred, you know, Octavia is, is brilliant. Um, but Kindred had nothing to do with the movie. It was... When we moved to Los Angeles in 2017, late 2017, about eight or nine months prior, my father suddenly died. Um, and it was uh, an incredibly traumatizing event in my life. And my brother and best friend uh, who lived in Venice, who we thought was, that, was gonna, that was gonna make uh, the trip to Los Angeles a little bit moving here, a little bit better because we knew someone. And then he suddenly died. Oh. So I was dealing with a lot and, and having to, to process and it felt really disorienting. I couldn't quite get my feet um, in Los Angeles because I was uh, so traumatized by these, these events. And so I had a, a horrific nightmare. And that nightmare was essentially antebellum. And we ended up putting pen to paper and writing the short story of antebellum that then became the script. We wrote the short story in October of 2017. Mm-hmm. We had the script finished the first draft of the script finished in February. And then we went out to market late February of 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it was just, it was based on, on this nightmare that felt, the, what it did have in common with Kindred was that it felt ancestral. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I suppose I could categorize it as a dream or a nightmare because that's the only way that I could, you know, I could, articulate what I experienced without it sounding really crazy and new aged or, or um, me feeling like I've been visited by a deity, but it was, it felt ancestral. It felt, I wasn't the star of the dream. I'm always the centerpiece of my dreams. And I'm not saying that in any sort of narcissistic way. I think most people- your dreams. Yeah, Yeah. you know, but I I wasn't, um, I was observing, which has never happened to me. Um, wow. And that's why it felt like something otherworldly. And I took notes about the nightmare that night and then went back to sleep. And then the next morning, Christopher and I had a discussion about it. So 
And that's when we put pen to paper and wrote the short story. But like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, uh, really supportive, uh, passionate following, and we would never um, uh, do anything to subtract from her legacy and, and her extraordinary body of work. I would just say that antebellum is its own thing um, completely. Have people brought that up? Like, have you seen Twitter? I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, I'm sure you're white, so you don't know black Twitter, but black Twitter is, <laughs> like, you know, black Twitter is its own thing. So yeah. you know, it's, it feels at, at, at times it is, you feel helpless because, yeah. you know, I can't sit and engage with everyone or anyone, you know, right. it's for them to experience the movie on their own. And once they do, then they'll find out that that's not the case. I mean, it's such a catch-22 because you don't want to ruin the movie, but it's just its just not. Like, if you've read the yeah. book and you've seen the movie, it's just not. Yeah. And and people will see that, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what do you... I, I never like to say, what are you doing next? Because it takes away from the moment you should be enjoying right now. So let me ask you that first. You mm -hmm. had so much, so much time struggling to make a movie. It's a 12-year journey together. Have you taken a minute to just sit back and say, we did it? This feels, this feels good to have accomplished this. No. No. So really? <laughs> we have, uh, we've been right. I mean, quarantine has been helpful in that we've been able to do nothing but write. Um, yeah. We wrote our next film called Rapture. That's also with Lionsgate um, that we're um, probably going into casting next month. Um, and we also wrote a, a television show that um, we should, have a great update on shortly but uh no we've just been writing like crazy in quarantine and just you know what's next what are we doing next i think i i think that what we realized in all of this is that there is so much suffering going on um in america specifically that it feels overwhelming um i watch the nightly news i watch cnn about um you know, these restaurants and, and, and the economy essentially being gutted, uh, people being evicted from their homes, nowhere to go. Um, we, we felt like in the blessing of, of having had the opportunity to make this movie, that we also have a tremendous responsibility to continue amplifying these stories and that we can't rest. We have to continue to write and tell these stories and, and get to a better place. America, um, the founding of America, the, the lie of the, uh, that we continue to tell ourselves about the founding of the country doesn't mean that the country still isn't the best thing going. It doesn't mean that America, um, when we do fulfill that promise for all Americans, I think that we have the potential to be the best country ever. But it means that we have to engage in an honest dialogue about how we got here so that we can figure out where we can chart the best path forward for everyone. So, you know, this, this writing, these television shows, you know, this movie, all of it is in that same bailiwick for us of, of those, the, those stories that are really disruptive, um, that, that catalyze a, a really meaningful and necessary dialogue and hopefully while being thrillingly entertaining and mysterious, I think we're, Christopher and I are, are most drawn to mystery. I think mm -hmm. you would describe Antebellum as a mind-bending thriller 
um, a mystery that you're constantly trying to figure out what it is and what is going on. And that is just about the shifting of paradigm and perspective. And it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating um, exploration for us both as storytellers. And it's, it's the kind of, um, we like that feeling of, of magnet in really close proximity to metal. It has this energy, it's palpable, but you can't quite figure it out. And we try to teeter on that line where they're not quite, you know, it's right there. Um, and so what we've created next and what we'll continue to create, hopefully all has that same DNA. Yeah, while well, our next movie is a completely different subject matter, all our art will reflect the times. Yeah. Can you talk about what Rapture is about at all or? We can just say that it, uh, it is about the mass, the, the disappearance of, of millions uh, in the global population. I love it. <laughs> wow. <laughs>